You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. have achieved national dominance <laughs> welcome back to did i even say that right dominance i'm already starting yeah. off really bad i'm not editing yeah this no editing either. now no, no we're keeping it Dom- <laughs> we have achieved oh wow wow all right we're starting over all right all right we okay. gotta roll. all right we- we're gonna keep this but i'm gonna start it over <laughs> i was like no, i don't really mess up we have achieved national dominance welcome back to the native plants healthy planet podcast presented by pinelands nursery i am fran chismar and i'm tom knezic and uh i think your complaining worked (laughs) we uh we didn't just get one listen in utah we got three or four yeah (laughs) so yeah so someone whoever had that friend in utah that that said hey go listen to this so they stopped talking about it you have one more episode where we're going to talk about it and that's right now (laughs) wait just because i didn't ask you before was it you? Did you do it? No, and no. It really wasn't. I was waiting for you to say, ah, I did it. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, I don't awesome. know anyone. Actually, I do have a friend in Utah, but I didn't even think well, about Well, I didn't that. know if you changed your... Uh, I don't know VPN? if I can... The VPN. I don't know if I can do it that specifically. Oh, I can okay. make it like a country. I don't oh, know if okay. I can make it a world. I, but, I was waiting for, for you to say that you did it. No. You didn't really. I wish I had. I oh, been... <laughs> no, because you know, then it would have all been a lie. Yep. The whole thing would have been a lie at that point. But, but now it, you can give it a rest. We don't need to talk about... If anymore. All right. <laughs> this all right. is that's the last the last state. All so. fifty states, all fifty states, and thirty five countries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I can give it a rest, but I I don't really know. I have to focus at it. It doesn't go away. It's not like no. Yeah. It's... We we achieve that, and then my OCD is like, all right, job well done. Mm-hmm. It it's just it has to pick something else. <laughs> <laughs> like it has to like. Maybe I have to focus it on something else. Maybe the Apple charts, we, which yeah. every week we fluctuate wildly, yeah. 40 positions in either way. I, I think, yeah, this this week we went, like, we dropped, like, 100 spots, and then all of a sudden, we in two days, we made it all the way back up. We we went up 33 spots last night. Yeah. And I was like, I don't yeah. even and understand. we didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> we're so, you know, the one thing I appreciate about doing this every week we're back and we didn't announce it last podcast but we're back to the every other week Mm -hmm. format until we hit probably thanksgiving yeah yeah. right around there and uh i feel out of out of sorts like you get in that rhythm Mm -hmm. like you feel like you're doing good now i can't even do the intro (laughs) and talk properly but uh yeah it's i'm just maybe we'll we'll focus on that we can focus on cheesesteaks yeah again yeah we could talk more about cheese we actually had a (laughs) cheesesteak talk before the podcast started so so Mara, you, obviously you've had cheese. You're not in. You're two hours from Philly, maybe. Uh yeah. I my sister went to University of Delaware for college, so um, when I would go visit, we would go up to Philly um, a decent amount, and uh, we're big concert goers, so mm-hmm. uh, we would go to a lot of shows in Philly and get a cheesesteak on the way. We're not going to talk about plants at all this no we're gonna talk about music and cheesesteaks that's one of my favorite topics you know i will say i lived right like four miles outside of the university of delaware it's hard to actually get a good cheesesteak in that area like it is yeah surprisingly being that close to philly 
like you couldn't get a good cheesesteak. It's a little different <laughs> now. Now there's yeah. chains there, so you yep. can get something that resembles like pizza and cheesesteaks. I, I was like, yeah. what state am I in? Like yeah. this is. <laughs> well, that was when I was in upstate New York. It was, oh, it's still New York. The pizza should be good. No, it was bad. It was. I remember I walked into like a, a slice shop and, um, the person I was with wanted a broccoli slice. And I was like, they didn't even have anything displayed or anything like that. People listening might not know what a pizza place in New Jersey is like, but they have all the pizzas out. Yeah. And then they have all the different kinds. And you can just say, oh, I want a, a margarita it, pizza and I want this, a plain slice. And you just kind of pick. It's like a donut shop yeah. like, or a bakery. This like place just had the... a bunch of plain ones. And then you told them what you wanted on it. And then they threw it on after they cooked oh, it. <laughs> oh. So it was, oh, yeah, I want a broccoli sp- slice and a pepperoni slice. And it was like they'd put the pepperonis on after and then throw it back in the oven. <laughs> And the broccoli after, and then they opened up the can in front of me. I guess not a lot of people that ordered broccoli there. (laughs) Now, I was in (laughs) – now we're getting way off topic. I was in Tennessee once. This is going back to probably early 2000s, and we stopped at like a – just like a a local corner store Mm -hmm. or deli. And the woman was like, you should try a slice of our pizzas just like you get up in New York. And I had our New York sales rep who was born in Brooklyn, and he just took one look. He goes, listen, lady. (laughs) I was born in New York. That's not New York pizza. It kind of looked like lunch, yeah, like what you would get in like a high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's funny how those – what drives me crazy is my youngest son. Like I kind of feel that our area between D.C. and New York, like really Mm -hmm. good – area for for pizza yep and bread yeah and my son's favorite pizza is pizza hut and his favorite (laughs) hoagie is subway i know it's defeating it's defeating although i'm i'm we're starting to turn him a little bit he's also the one that didn't have a cheese he's 17 he didn't have a cheese wouldn't eat a cheesesteak until this year and now he's sold yeah so and you like the one john park brought us he said it was phenomenal yeah that was a good one so so, so well, maybe we should get back yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So going back to the charts, we want to get higher up the charts. I don't know how it works. Like I said, we just dropped a hundred spots in like a two day span, and then all of a sudden went a hundred spots back up. Yeah. So, if someone knows how to rig the algorithm <laughs> to make us improve, <laughs> and they want to let us know, that would be perfect because we'd like it'll help Fran kind of just ease his mind a little bit to yes. see us go back up a little more yes but but going back to uh how our listeners can help us one of the things they did is they left us a lot of reviews um to submit for or um try and win the the dr Sala book the nature of nature why we need the wild i always forget the second part of that title but yeah. so we got a lot of entries there we got a lot of entries on our facebook page and we've actually decided to announce the winner yeah i you know and i really want to thank everyone for their response and not just not just for that episode um you've really been following commenting and listening to all the episodes and we really appreciate your support you know it it does get overwhelming at times i i promised myself i wouldn't read reviews in an earlier Mm -hmm. episode i said i wouldn't but um we got a really nice one just this past week from Mark one nine zero six seven, and I'm not sure if that's a zip code, but if it is, shout out to the two one five. So, um, but uh, I had list. We we always listen to the episode the week after we publish it in the office, so everyone can hear it. And um, I listened to it, and I felt like I was babbling. 
and I'm sure I'm babbling now, but like even worse, I was making no sense. I literally said this sentence. I wrote it down after I said it, but I said this sentence. It's always a focus on trees, and that tends to be the focus. (laughs) And I said sentences like that on multiple occasions throughout that (laughs) podcast. So I wasn't feeling really good. And then uh, Mark19067 left a fantastic review and it, it kind of perked me back up mm. and brought me back up so yeah thank it's always you so nice to see it i think i think that does help us out in the apple charts so if you want to help us that's one way you can do it you rate it five stars leave a review um and then let people know why they should listen to in that review that always helps us yes uh, so we really guys we can't thank you enough for um for all the reviews you left us there on apple uh, podcast and then through on the facebook group reviewing that episode and uh, so our two winners, yes. we went through, and I don't really know if it was random or, or I don't even know how we said it. Was it. Random. it was, it was it random. It was random mostly. Um, but we picked for the Apple Podcast review. It was Care Bear 1122 Also left their name is Carrie. Uh, and we actually don't know who that is. So you have to email us. Yes. <laughs> All we see know. on Apple Review is your username, so you have yeah. to contact us or we have no way of getting the book to you. So if you're listening to this episode, please, please contact us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can email us at info at nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Yep, yep. And then through the Facebook group, we wanted to give the book to uh, Darren Williams, and he's been doing an outstanding job I sharing think, stuff there. I think he could just run this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe even better than us after <laughs> yeah, today. <laughs> yeah, I think so. so. We may have to have – next time we do Meet Our Listeners Part 2, we'll have to have Darren. Yeah. You have an open invitation. And he's from on. Washington, right? Yes. So, yeah, he's on the West Coast and completely different set of plants than we do here and um, probably a completely different outlook on how to do some things than we do here. And he well. works in conservation also. Mm-hmm. So he's oh, okay. somewhat – yeah, he's somewhat in the industry. So Yeah. And now, before we get to today's guest, who's chimed in a little bit, Fran, I wanted to start our first, I guess it's not really our first segment, but I wanted to start a new segment. Oh. But I don't know what to call it. All right. <laughs> and well, let's... It's, it's really, for the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about habitat and animals, and not that much time actually talking about individual plants. So I want to add, other than the, the what's your favorite native plant in, so I want to add something, just a seasonal interest that we see coming up here and i have one unless you have have one you you're thinking I, of as well i i don't have one i'm not the I'm, one I'm, I'm i was prepared. just riding around the nursery the other day i didn't i didn't tell fran i was doing this i just did yeah i i'm totally but, um, just riding around the nursery the other day our cardinal flower is just i don't even know how big the block is but it's just in full bloom it looks awesome i noticed it and and Someone else on the nursery actually yeah. said that to me, like, wow, look at that cardinal it's flower out one there. one of those species that I always think, like, when people say their favorite plants, that's always one that comes to mind of what's your favorite native plant, just because of the beauty of it. Um, yeah, I, I, about I it. really like that one, and that was one of the options I was thinking about Uh-oh. for uh, I, my favorite plant, I, but I, I landed on a different one, so uh, it, we're not spoiling the moment. <laughs> it, but it is a great one because there's not too many, at, at least for our native flora here, there's mm-hmm. not too many reds like that, um, yeah. Right. especially right. for wetland plants. like that's And it's unique in a number of different ways, how it likes it a little bit wetter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good, really good for hummingbirds. I think it needs hummingbirds to, to pollinate it. Yeah. Um, where most other stuff needs bees. The bees will actually rob the nectar. They'll chew a hole in the flower and, and suck the nectar out, but it doesn't actually pollinate the flower. And from growing it, 
just in my garden. Yeah. I found that it doesn't like to grow where you want it to. It just kind of comes it up. We'll find its own place. Yeah. yeah, it's it's facultative wet, so it, it can take a wet foot. Well, so it's it's found that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's versatile for the fact that it's basal foliage with a a, a flower stalk. Mm-hmm. So you can fit it in some smaller spaces too, um, without it being yeah. like and it's, it's a good a, access. Like a really plant. good like highlight in yes. gardens gets a little bit taller. So, um, but yeah, that we always cover the healthy planet part. I want to cover a little bit more than the native plant part. So if we just do that every episode, then all right, we, we can, should be able to do that. We could do that just it's, from what we see. I think. Uh, uh, well, okay, we'll come up with a name. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. come up with a jingle. For I was it. just even thinking we could just call it plants. Plants. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a jingle would be good. <laughs> yeah, got to have that jingle. Got to have the jingle, or it doesn't you work. You can sing it, or you can. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but Maybe I will. Anyway, we should get to today's guest who's chimed in a couple times. And um, I guess I'll start by, uh, by saying our guest is from, works for the National Aquarium. Which may be a little bit surprising to people because when you think of the aquarium, you think, oh, there's like a, a big brick building and it's got sometimes there's some cool stuff on the outside. And then you got all the fish inside and you're thinking sharks and stingrays, this, oh, the stingray petting area. That's always fun. But um, you don't think about what happens outside those walls. And with our national aquarium, which is in Baltimore, my favorite part of it is what's outside those walls. I almost directly outside those walls because yeah. you're walking around on the, the inner harbor there and you start seeing all these native plant communities, which a lot of people probably don't notice or if they do notice, mm-hmm. might not like as much as I do. But mm-hmm. I see it, I'm like, oh, this is really cool because you have all different native plants growing here. And it's always one of my favorite parts of going to the inner harbor is seeing that that part of it. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, Maura, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure, and thanks for having me today. Uh, my name is Mara Duffy. I'm a conservation project manager at the National Aquarium. Um, and I'm so glad you mentioned the native plant gardens we have out front of the aquarium. Um, we refer to it as the waterfront park, but yeah, basically the idea behind it is we have a couple different areas as you're walking towards the aquarium building where you can see some of those native plants um, and microhabitats that you would see um, around Maryland and around the Chesapeake Bay. And in addition to that, another aquarium fun fact uh, is that we do have green roofs mm-hmm. on a few of our buildings. So um, it's not an area that you can see when you're visiting, um, but I think is a is a cool fun fact yeah, uh, that's... about our aquarium building. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. We we are very proud to say that some of our plants are in those, those mm-hmm. gardens outside. And that yeah, we, we, yeah. T- we take a lot of pride in that. But it has ecology at work with its natural functions yeah. right yeah. right outside Especially of that Especially on the, uh, the floating islands that you have right there as well. Mm-hmm. Those are always really cool and probably an underutilized technique for some water filtration. Yes, yes. Right, yeah. I think one of the things I like about um, – the work I do is that when you are doing conservation work in an urban area like that, mm-hmm. you kind of have to think, it forces you to think outside of the box. So in a harbor of Baltimore, for example, you've got those hard concrete shorelines. Yeah. Uh, however many hundreds of years ago, obviously that was all natural shoreline, but um, because we have buildings and boat traffic and that kind of thing, restoring it back to that natural shoreline is not really an option. 
So with urban conservation, you've got to kind of work with those um, human-made structures that you have and find ways to work with that to create habitat. So doing things like floating islands um, that we've put out there and installed, um, as well as providing like recycled oyster shells and that kind of thing mm -hmm. so that you find different innovative ways that take their theories from traditional quote unquote uh, restoration, but put that into practice in a different um, setting. And really, I think one of the myths we've tried to address and dispel, especially in Baltimore's inner harbor, is that oftentimes people come and many Marylanders too are like, oh my God, the inner harbor is disgusting. Nothing could ever live in there. Mm -hmm. Why would you ever like do any of this? But <laughs> it, it's really not true. Um, we've documented almost, I think, 20 different species at this point that have either used those recycled oyster shells or the floating islands and those artificial habitats that we've provided. And that's just in that tiny mm -hmm. slip of water between our Pier 3 and Pier 4 aquarium buildings. So uh, like pumpkin seed sunfish, mummy chug, uh, we had babies snapping turtles hmm. um, wow. nest and hatch on the island. So um, yeah, it's there is wildlife out there. <laughs> and there are things that live um, in the water in the inner harbor. So uh, what are the things that we can do to provide them with the habitats that they need and um, do our part uh, as an institution that is right on the water there um, to help improve that water quality and habitat availability. And I think what's most impressive about it is that how you had to think out of the box to achieve that because it's for, for creating something natural, it's a very unnatural setting with all that bulkhead and it's the energy <laughs> that creates is very unnatural <laughs> for that area. So to be able to achieve right. those things in a way that you did um, – it's pretty amazing to see those things the, uh, just with with the challenges that you face because of all those factors. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, no yeah. problem. So I, I thought one of the, the more impressive things when you look at the National Aquarium website, um, mm -hmm. it has your mission statement, which is we connect people with nature to drive conservation action for the benefit of people, animals and the planet. The National Aquarium's mission to inspire conservation of the world's aquatic treasures begin with the walls of our building, but it does not end there. We protect, enhance, and restore natural resources through education and engagement, habitat restoration, animal rescue, and sustainable business practices. And I think that's really important because, as, as Tom mentioned, a lot of people just think of the brick and mortar of the building itself and not what happens outside of that building, even beyond the harbor. Um, and a lot of it is is education work that you do. And I know, you know, from our dealings with you, we know that a lot of that happens in, in area schools. Can we talk about mm -hmm. that for a little bit? Just what kind of education that you do uh, to make people aware of, of these types of things? Yeah, sure. Um, first, I'll give a little bit of um, background as to why that is and um, like why we are focused on that education work. I so, would love that. Uh, the National Aquarium is one of the many association of zoos and aquariums, um, also known as AZA, accredited institutions in this country. So uh, what that means, what being AZA accredited means is that 
we're all held to high standards for not only animal care, but involvement in conservation and research, education programs, like you mentioned, um, as well as the guest service experience. So um, the bar has been set for um, those certain aspects of our work, um, and we need to either meet or exceed that to keep our accreditation. So um, many of these fellow zoos and aquariums that are AZA accredited, including us, participate in active stewardship of the natural environment, and that includes wildlife, plants, energy, as well as other natural resources that are outside of our physical buildings, which is what we were getting at earlier. Okay. So um, not sure if you're familiar with it, but um, I'm a big fan of the animal planet um show they have two great shows that i really like called the zoo and the aquarium um and both the bronx zoo and the georgia aquarium that are featured on the shows are fellow aza institutions and really gives you that behind the scenes look in the bigger picture as to um, the work we all do at these institutions and um, i think the curator of the bronx zoo on that show has put it really well there has to be a higher purpose to our work it's not enough to just have these animals and exhibits just for people to look at for entertainment. Yeah. Um, there has to be a higher purpose. So for us, that's conservation of species, especially those threatened with the risk of extinction, as well as the habitats that they depend on. So our hope is that when people visit our aquarium, that they leave feeling inspired by the animals um, but also inspired to take conservation action to help the species and the habitats that they saw that day. So for us at the National Aquarium, and what my work focuses on in the conservation programs department is that conservation of wildlife habitats and sharing that knowledge and experience with schools and volunteers. So uh, our approach is that we really don't want to be doing our restoration work in a solitary vacuum or black hole yeah. uh, we we could go the route of just doing these restoration and cleanup efforts on our own with just our small number of staff and contractors but for us it's really important to bring in those local students and residents to the restoration efforts that are happening where they live so instead of us just doing a tree planting alone in a field somewhere and leaving for example yeah. Uh, we're more intentional about listening to what the wants and needs of the local community is where we're working, collaborate with them, make sure that both our restoration goals as well as the goals of the community members are being met by that project, um, and then physically working together out in the field to get that work done. So really sending that message that conservation happens at home and in your local neighborhood not just only in faraway rainforests or remote preserves, for example. Um, so getting to your question, what do we do with schools? Yeah. Uh, there's a few different things that we do. Um, firstly, we're currently partnered with seven different schools throughout the state of Maryland that are directly involved with our planting efforts. Depending on where the school is located, they are given a species of native plant that's found in their geographic area. So for example, schools in the Baltimore metro area are given cordgrass to be planted on living shoreline projects. And schools that we work with on Maryland's more rural eastern shore are given Atlantic white cedar seedlings to be planted at a local nature preserve. Okay. And at the beginning of the school year, we come visit their classroom. 
uh, teach everything about that specific plant that they'll be working with in the Chesapeake Bay. And then after we leave that day, the students and the teachers are responsible for taking care of and watering those plants through the fall and winter months. Nice. And then once it's springtime, um, they'll be able to bring those very same plants that they've been taking care of and uh, growing for the past school year, bring them out to whatever restoration site we're working on, um, get their hands dirty, get their boots wet, uh, and plant those same uh, plants that they've been taking care of throughout the year. How how, uh, how has the response been to that? Like how, how did the, the children respond to that? Yeah. Um, I, a lot of them really love it. I mean, one comment I get from teachers a lot, and I think this is true for um, a lot of people that work in this environmental ed sector, is that sometimes like the classroom setting is just not always the best format for students. So students that might have a hard time with sitting all day and doing classroom instruction, mm-hmm. getting them outside and doing environmental work um, that's more hands-on and they can explore and not be in a chair all day um, has really been their time to shine. So um, being able to give students more of a variety and exposure to outdoor ed instead of um, the constant studying and testing and things like that, it's been helpful for a variety of students to get um, different ways to learn incorporated into their school day. And I think especially with the pandemic, um, using outdoor settings as a classroom really um, has been something that's becoming more popular. Yeah. I, you know, one thing I'll say for Maryland as a whole that I've noticed over, over time is the amount of outdoor classrooms mm-hmm. um, or living mm-hmm. classrooms that Maryland has. And that seems to be a really good part of of their education i wish i wish i'd see more of that locally yeah actually but you mentioned covid and um and the pandemic and how that's affecting how is that affecting this program and what you're doing in classrooms i know here in new jersey a lot of schools are going to either somewhat virtual or hybrid models i don't know if there's Mm -hmm. many schools that are going completely back my my son hasn't even started yet i mean it's some schools haven't even you, you know considering where we're at in the year haven't mm-hmm. even started their schooling yet so has that thrown a wrench into your program with that uh, you're working with schools yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> um yeah i mean i think the most like immediate uh impact we had at the aquarium because of the pandemic was that we had to shut down our building for several months mm-hmm. okay um so during that like peak Springfield trip and uh, summer vacation time, um, our building was closed since Maryland um, was under stay-at-home orders for a while. Um, And the National Aquarium, even though I know it sounds like we uh, might be like tied to federal government or Smithsonian or something like that, we are just a nonprofit um, here at the National Aquarium. So having that loss of revenue from um, people visiting the building definitely has hit us hard. Um, yeah, at not... this point, at least, we have been able to open the building back up to 25% capacity with lots of different safety um, things put in place to keep both our staff 
and guest safe as well as the animals. Um, so that was the biggest like big picture impact school-wise. Um, since this started back in March, April, um, for all those spring field trips with the kids to plant um, those plants they have been taking care of in their schoolyards, we just weren't able to do it. Um, like instead of having the plants knock it in the ground, uh, I basically just went on this tour to Maryland, picking up <laughs> uh, all their trees and grasses from around the state. And our staff was able to um, get all their grasses and things mm -hmm. in the ground. So oh, nice. um, as part of that process, I made these little videos for each individual school. So like I filmed um, me going to the school and picking up their plants me driving to the restoration site, uh, getting all their plants out and um, in the ground and what the planting looked like once our staff was able to um, get it planted. So I will say we are a tiny staff. Um, there's only five of us in field conservation. So the loss of not having those extra hands of volunteers and students was definitely rough mm -hmm. um, yeah. this past spring. So, I mean, we planted, I'm going to guesstimate here, but a thousand, two thousand trees and grasses with just us. Wow. Um, with no uh, external help. So it was a lot of work, but it was worth it. <laughs> you're, you're always busy. I yeah. can imagine how yeah. much busy, yeah. busier. You know, and I hadn't even thought about it. It's like when this hit and you had to close the doors, it's not as if the animals don't need to be taken care of. It's mm -hmm. You still have exactly. all those operating yes. costs. And uh, the work you do, I can imagine how that changes everything, yeah. especially considering how small your staff is. It, it kind of yeah. leads me a little bit into another question. But... um. I guess I'll start with a story for this question. But I remember, I think I was in second or third grade, and we had a class guinea pig. I want to say his name was Peanut Butter. But I don't, oh I don't know why that name's sticking to my head. But um, I remember one a girl took him. We'd take turns taking him home for the weekend, yeah. and there was a girl. It was her turn to take him home. Took him home for the weekend. And then um, I guess over the weekend, Peanut Butter decided he was going to move on to the classroom in the sky. And, oh, no. <laughs> We were young, so we didn't really know exactly what was happening. Yeah. But um, with plants, I would assume something like that could happen, especially during a pandemic. You have all these people who just left. And it was, at least here, it was, hey, take home what you think you might need. We don't know if we're going to be here on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming it's a similar situation there. But even before that, did you ever run into situations where those plants didn't get watered or they moved on to the great garden in the sky? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not really, and that's props to how great the teachers are wow. that we work with over the years. Um, also, part of it, I think, is that, uh, like, the core grasses that we work with are intentionally, like, a pretty hardy species, mm. so you have to try pretty hard to uh, <laughs> you, you do. send those to the <laughs> nursery in the sky, so. <laughs> you, you do have to try pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, do, yeah. Do you ever have, have you had children because this is it's not like this is a new program for as long as i've been dealing with the national aquarium this is a, a program that's been going on have you had students come back to you um saying hey you know 10 years ago we did this and i decided to choose this as a career or do you know of anyone that's maybe written a letter or it made an impact on that they've mentioned yeah um 
Yes, I'm, I'm trying to think of a example. So I know uh, this is a different education program. It's not this one specifically, okay. but um, I have heard from and gotten job applications from, um, like you said, they were students that went through one of our various education programs when they were in grade school or high school. And um, now that they're a little bit older in college, uh, looking to either volunteer or work at the aquarium because they really enjoyed that time they spent with us so much. So um, yeah, it always warms my heart when I see that. And uh, like I myself uh, was volunteering at the aquarium back when I was in high school doing some of the debris cleanups and work that we do. And that definitely had an impact on me and my career path and deciding to go down this route to work on Chesapeake Bay issues. You know, it's funny because that was one of our questions for you was Mm -hmm. how you ended up, what was your path that led you to the National Aquarium? Because even though you have an interest in this, it could have led you to other parts of the country or even other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So what, what led you in that path and what kept you here? Yeah. Uh, I am a lifelong Marylander, so I think living here in Maryland, the Chesapeake Bay is just such a fundamental part of our state. So wanting to uh, do my part to help the Bay, and I'm a big animal lover as well, so I've always been pretty into wildlife and wildlife conservation. So finding a way that I can help out those species and improve the habitats that they live in. I, I love being around the water. I love being on the water. So uh, anything related to that has always made me happy. Uh, yeah. I Back in high school, like I mentioned, I was part of the environmental club. Um, we were one of the first classes to start it. And it's lived on many, many years since I've left but i think especially in the recent decades just how much more focus and attention has been brought to the environmental field and how much this field has grown and the amount of opportunities that are available is really great to see so yeah just living in this area my whole life and going to the aquarium as a kid and um loving the bay has all led me down this path It, it, it i don't know if it's just me but it seems that the people that that live in that Chesapeake Bay area have this an inherent connection to the land there that I'm actually kind of jealous of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they speak about it romantically um, yeah. in a way that it's hard to, you know, it's easy to, you know, there's, there's people that have that connection like here in New Jersey with the certain areas like the Pine Barrens or, or the mm-hmm. Jersey Shore or something like that. But there's something about that Bay area. I don't know. It makes me jealous when I hear people talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For me, some people hate it, but for me, there's nothing better than that uh, stinky wetland uh, mud. <laughs> I love that smell. <laughs> <laughs> so for the schools are one aspect of your conservation, but I know that that you have worked on much or the aquarium has worked on much larger projects as well. Um, I know there's been projects at naval bases and things like that, um, mm-hmm. that are on a much larger scale. How, how, like, how does it get decided what the national aquarium gets involved in, uh, for conservation? Yeah. 
Um, I think a lot of it is guided by the larger goals that we have at the aquarium, but oftentimes where you're sort of acting in a contractor-esque role. So like I mentioned, the National Aquarium is a nonprofit. So in all these cases with the restoration projects, we're never really the landowner. Okay. So what we do in order to accomplish our work is partner with those landowners, whether that's someone like the Nature Conservancy or county government, uh, parks, or even private landowners. So doing habitat gardens on home property, for example. Um, we're really there to be the partner to get that planting work done. And like I mentioned, bring in that local community to it. So um, using our name and our brand to help spread this message of conservation and recruit people to get involved um, in this work. So again, instead of bringing in a traditional contractor, um, bringing us in because our partners know that we can get the local schools and local community involved in these restoration projects, which is definitely a large focus, I feel, um, has been ramping up in recent years. It, it's not enough to just do the planting and walk away anymore. It, it, you know, it's, it's funny because I'm sure it depends on the part of the area of the country that you're in, but it's amazing when you talk to um, the average person, they're, they're more apt to know more about what, what's going on with the loss of rain garden or not rain gardens, uh, rainforests mm -hmm. than what's mm -hmm. happening in their own backyard. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you, right. do you get right. these people that are, are shocked at, as, as you start to educate them, that they're really unaware of, of the severity of some of, of our loss as, as far as. I think so. Yeah. I think one thing that consistently is a bit mind flowing in our education and outreach efforts that people are just like, well, I didn't know, um, <laughs> is this concept of a watershed. So for the Chesapeake Bay, it's just such a large estuary that it's hard to understand just how massive the watershed is where all of that land area in the watershed, any river, stream, little creek, um, all of that water is eventually going to make its way down to the bay. Um, so having people understand what that watershed is, just how large it is, um, it covers 64,000 square miles and um, parts of several states. So is it up um, to New York? I, I know, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like parts of New York State, when you're when you're driving the Pennsylvania Turnpike through Central PA, you'll hit. Mm -hmm. You're now entering the Chesapeake Bay watershed area, which I love that right. they do notate that, so mm -hmm. you're you're aware of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, yeah, it covers parts of Delaware, Maryland, New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, and then all of Washington D.C. So. It's such a large area and a really populated area. There's over 18 million people that live um, in that space and growing um, that it's important that people understand that connection of even though I'm so far away and I'm in Southern New York, like what could I possibly do to affect the Bay? But knowing that, yes, you are connected to that and um, the actions that you take to support or hurt your waterways have that downstream effect on 
um, your neighbors and other folks that depend mm-hmm. on the Chesapeake Bay, both people and wildlife. I, I, I just don't think people realize it sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, they just don't. And we talked about that with when we had yeah. Crafts Creek on locally mm-hmm. with people just throwing their, their grass clippings in the, the local creeks, just mm-hmm. not just like, oh, no, they'll mm-hmm. get rid of it, not realizing the damage that they're doing. Um, right. So right. The, the awareness that you're bringing is incredible. Um, and to me, there can never be enough of that. Um, because every time I think people know, you realize how many people don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. But do you, is, does the work go outside the Maryland borders for you as far as, I, I know this is going back sometime. I remember one project that was probably in, in New York um, mm-hmm. that your staff was involved in. It, does that still happen or is it still more local for you considering how small your, your staff is? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's still true. So all of our work is focused within that massive Chesapeake Bay watershed okay. area. So as long as it's in that watershed, we, we are down to help out. <laughs> so um, yes, we did used to do some freshwater pond restoration um, in southern New York at the headwaters okay. um, for some of the tributaries to the Chesapeake Bay. And then our most southern project is down in Virginia Beach, which is right at the end. Um of the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll really go anywhere, but, um, yeah, a lot of the work does end up being in Maryland since that's where we're located, yeah. but also because habitat wise, um, Maryland, I don't know if you've heard this before, but it is often referred to as America in miniature. So even though we're a small state, we've got all these different habitat zones. So we've got the Appalachian mountains to the West, uh, the Piedmont, coastal plain and we've got the atlantic ocean so we kind of get um a wide variety of different habitats to do restoration work i, I hadn't um, realized just that staying in our yeah. own state yeah i hadn't realized that now that i'm thinking like as you're saying it i'm i'm going over parts of maryland in my head <laughs> and i was like yeah wow yeah. i didn't i never put two and two together that's yeah is there is there a specific project that you're really proud of that you were a part of oh there's a lot over the years definitely um i think generally projects that have been more long term that we do annually or biannually where i'm able to go back and see the progress it's making firsthand has been really nice um we don't always get to do that so it's been really fulfilling in my six years here now to be able to go back and look at how much some of these sites have grown and thrived over time and say, wow, like I had a hand in that. I I can see the impact of all these trees and grasses that uh, we've planted. So that is really important. You know, it's, it's funny to say that not to, not to interrupt, but most of the the people on the nursery here never get to see where our plants go. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And I only occasionally see where they go. But one of the things Tom had the idea for actually a few years ago was we were taking a before and after picture um, Mm -hmm. of a project that our plants went to. And we would post it, uh, post it up saying before Mm -hmm. and after this is where our plants went and this is what they did. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just to see people, the connection they made, like, wow, we were a part of that. Like, that's that's what happened. It was amazing, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's. It's so important to see the work that you did so you can keep it in perspective. <laughs> like, could, right. you, could you imagine yeah. if you never got to go back and look, you had no idea 
Oh my what? gosh, I'd be so sad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like I just uh, sweat and my arms are sore and I've been out in the field for weeks on end and then not be able to see Yeah, it. you just start uh, thinking next. Me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would just be like next, what's the next one? You know, and you, yeah. you lose that whole perspective of what you've accomplished and what I, I love hearing the reports. Like some of our the projects that we've supplied plants, they'll come back and they'll tell us like Hey, just want to show you this report of the wildlife that has mm. uh, volunteered mm-hmm. itself in since the restoration has happened. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff I, I love to see how that eco- ecosystem has started to work. Not just what it looks like, but how well is it working. Um, those are the stories we kind of really love love to see. Right, yeah. And I think if I had to pick my favorite project, it's something that really hits on that. So. Um, we've been working with the Nature Conservancy since 2009 to restore Atlantic white cedar tree okay. populations in Nassawango Creek Preserve on the eastern shore of Maryland. Okay. Um, and I like that particular project because the Atlantic white cedar is listed as a vulnerable species in the state of Maryland. And that's largely due to changes in land use and the loss of their freshwater wet- wetland habitat. So. Yeah. Really, that effort is focused on not only increasing the population numbers of these trees, but um, increasing the amount of habitat that they live in as well. So bringing back some of those freshwater wetlands before we plant. Um, And that really benefits not only the trees themselves, but other critters that benefit from having that unique freshwater swamp habitat Mm. um, come back and be available them so um, I'm proud of that one because it ties in the local schools but um, also helps keep vulnerable species like that um, in our state so since that project began back in 09 we've planted 39,500 Atlantic white cedar trees there so even just sheer numbers it's kind of hard to wrap your head around but um and they are a slow growing tree they only grow about a foot a year but now i can go back to some of those sites i planted six years ago and the trees are taller than me at this point uh that is is amazing 30 almost forty thousand. that's amazing yeah that's absolutely amazing uh i love to hear that (laughs) you know and for our listeners that don't though that's not necessarily an easy plant either it's, it's very p- mm-hmm. specific it likes to have a low ph it it likes it, it can take permanent inundation it's not like you could just plant it anywhere it's, exactly it's, it's pretty yeah. specific so in order to uh, uh reestablish that many that's i just you got a big smile out of me on that one <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad and i mean really with a lot of these large planting efforts you all at um pinelands nursery have really been a critical partner for us and well, thank you. have been our go-to to provide uh those trees and the native plants that we've needed for these restoration projects over the year so and, um, we're and, definitely really grateful for that well, um in our you. partnership together uh, we 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 greatly value mm-hmm. that partnership and and that's a difficult plant it's funny you say that from a nursery perspective because we're growing everything from seed and it's all job driven it, mm-hmm. it we, you don't know how many plants you're going to need on any given year and that plant mm-hmm. specifically because you can go one year where you get a request for 40,000 and the next year where you have zero and it's mm-hmm. it, it's really difficult to kind of hit that <laughs> like hit that mark where you're you're supplying the right mix for the projects that are out there and and sometimes you hit one where you get the request and you just don't have the plants 
some years you have the plants and there's no requests. So it's it's nice that we were able to hit the mark that many times for, yeah, for that kind yeah. of restoration. We we yeah, definitely. We, we greatly appreciate that. So considering all the, the, the projects that you've been involved in, um, what what would you say are the main conservation goals of the National Aquarium? So we have three main goals that we focus our work around. Okay. They are combat climate change. All right. Save wildlife and habitats. Okay. And stop plastic pollution. Oh, very And these goals are really for the entire aquarium, um, not just us in the conservation department itself. So we've got all kinds of different um, jobs and departments working together on these three specific issues. Oh, very So for, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Please go ahead. <laughs> Um, so with combating climate change, we work to combat climate change with a solutions-based approach. Okay. This is including translating ocean and climate science, which is often very confusing and hard to grasp, uh, building climate resiliency through community empowerment, okay. implementing nature-based solutions, as well as reducing our own carbon footprint that we produce as an institution. Which is hugely important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to safe wildlife and habitats, pretty self-explanatory, but we have a responsibility to maintain the healthy ecosystems and restore the critical habitat around us. So we aim to help wildlife and habitats by promoting environmental stewardship and being a leader in animal care and welfare. And then that last one, stopping plastic pollution. Um, the reason we focus on that is because plastic pollution negatively impacts the health of people, wildlife, and ecosystems. So to combat these problems, we organize community cleanups, public awareness campaign campaigns, and advocate for waste reduction policies. Oh. We really strive to walk our talk. So we've eliminated the use of single-use plastics in all of our business wow. operations. Nice. So for Very example, nice. if you go to our gift shop or buy any food while you're in the building, you'll see that none of it is in any sort of single-use plastic packaging. So wow. um, these three are certainly big goals, and we use them to guide the projects that we take on and figure out which actions we can take as an organization to make conservation mm -hmm. happen. Well, that's awesome. So let's change, shift gears a little bit, and let's talk about plastic pollution. Um, we've talked about plants, um, and one of the things I've really loved talking about about recently is just water quality mainly mm -hmm. because it's something that i never think about or don't focus on and one of the things that i've noticed with the aquarium is with with plastic pollution um mm -hmm. how bad is it in our, our water Oof. especially like in the bag. <laughs> yeah yeah how long do you have um, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's definitely a large problem um, throughout the U.S., it's estimated that 80% or more of the trash in our water comes from land-based sources. So, what, like, humans uh, on land and in that watershed are um, the ones contributing to that waste. So, um, just looking at our own data that the aquarium has done a lot of trash cleanups and marine debris cleanups over the years... Um, looking at our 2019 field events, nearly 60% of the items that we removed from these critical habitat areas mm -hmm. um, by our team and volunteers were plastic and foam. Wow. So more than half 
of that trash that we're picking up is plastic that oftentimes is avoidable. Um, I often say plastic never goes away, just gets smaller. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Take styrofoam, for example. Um, You've got your styrofoam container for your takeout. Um, But when it's breaking down, it's just breaking down into smaller pieces. So when we're at these cleanups, I could spend forever just sitting in like a one foot square and picking up these tiny little pellets and pieces of styrofoam that we find that unfortunately ends up in our wetlands, especially in the city. Um, so once you end up with those microplastics, both ones that we can see and ones that we cannot, they're more on the microscopic mm-hmm. level, um, it's really easy for it to be ingested by accident, by um, marine life and entering that food web. Um, not only does that have harmful effects on the marine animals and ecosystems, but it affects us as humans as well. So um, a big concern, especially with seafood and things like that, has been the amount of um, toxins and those small microplastics that are now starting to show up in some of the fish that we eat. Um, So it's not only important to try and stop this constant flow of plastic to our waterways and oceans for the animals, but um, for us as well, for human health. Um, Also the production, sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, please. Uh, Just the production of plastic as well. Um, so the process of making plastic products um, releases a lot of toxins into our atmosphere that also have mm-hmm. negative impacts on human health. So the plastic itself is a problem. The production of the plastic is a problem. Um, and also how we handle it. Like, how do you handle that waste um, and prevent it from entering our natural mm-hmm. environment? But um, I think... The reason that we focus on stopping plastic pollution, not only because it's a water quality issue, but it's because it's something that's achievable. Um, Like I mentioned, most of this marine debris is plastic and it's coming from uh, the land. It's estimated there's more than 5 trillion pieces of plastic floating in our ocean. um, And unfortunately, millions of tons more entering that year. So looking at that and hearing those numbers, it's really overwhelming. But I think the important thing to remember is that there are so many people working on these plastic issues. Um, And again, it's about that awareness, right? You don't know that this is such a huge problem. Um, You're not going to want to be motivated to change that sort of single-use plastic lifestyle. exists for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. because it's convenient. It makes our lives easier and quicker, especially here in America where we're very, like, on the go, get that takeout, go to my meeting, things like that. So, And, and you're, not, uh, you're not in that headspace. You're not thinking about it. But sometimes you right. don't know how big of a mess something is until you have to clean it mm-hmm. up. And I think right. even yeah. some people think about it and say, well, we're doing so much more recycling now. But they mm-hmm. fail to recognize how much more plastic we produce than than we did even when we started to recycle. I think I just saw something maybe in the last six months, and I was talking about how the whole recycling program can be. It wasn't just recycle. It was reduce, reuse, recycle, recycle being the yes. last of the three. Yeah. And even though we're recycling, I don't want to even fathom the number it is, but 
many, many times more than we did 20 years ago. We're producing more plastic than we are recycling, <laughs> than we start recycling. And it's all single-use plastics. Right. You brought up the single-use portion of it, and this is another thing. It's like 10 years old statistic, but um, at one point we were producing three times the, the weight of all the people on the planet in those single-use plastic bags you get when you go to the grocery store. Wow. And you think about how light that is. And then you think mm -hmm. to produce three times as much as if you took every single person in the world and put them on a scale. Wow. Times that by three. And that was 10 years ago. It's wow. probably even higher than that now. Mm -hmm. And and not not every plastic is recyclable. Yeah. Exactly. There's not everything yeah. you had. Like, it's really easy to say is, eh, you know, whatever, they're going to recycle it. No, mm -hmm. no, it's it's not that easy. I wish it were that easy. Yeah. But you, you right. definitely come across <laughs> things that there's no use for. They're not going to take it. Mm -hmm. And then then what? Yeah, 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 we could do a whole thing about it, how uh, our recycling optimistic <laughs> recycling. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Like you throw everything in the recycle bin, you're like, oh no, yeah. I'll handle yeah. it. Well, yeah. since, since you've been working with it, do you feel that it's gotten worse, or do you feel that it's gotten better, or about the same? Is, is there I a way to even as, measure that? Yeah, um, I think as more awareness has come out about this issue in recent years there has been a lot of progress on the policy front okay to stop stop it out the source essentially um so uh, for example locally uh we were able to help advocate for a bill that phased out mostly all the styrofoam takeout containers and things like that here in baltimore city okay um you just can't have it. Uh, you can't give it out uh, as part of your food operations anymore. So um, we're hopeful that stopping it at the source like that, we're going to see a lot less styrofoam, I hope, eventually ending up on our wetlands and our shorelines. Um, we've also advocated for other policy changes, um, things like straws upon requests. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just about changing that mindset. So say, for example, you're at a restaurant or at a bar, it's almost just a muscle reflex that your bartender or your server will automatically put that straw in your glass, even if you don't necessarily need it. Yeah. Um, so switching to something like straws upon request is able to mm. reduce the amount of that technically unnecessary, um, in many cases, straw, um, and just not even thinking about it really yeah. um and just preventing it from entering the waste stream to begin with um same with balloon releases so uh, <laughs> at like big parties and festivals and things like that i see these videos where they're releasing thousands of balloons and just like oh my god uh, well, did we talk <laughs> yeah. about this on the podcast or was we, it just I think in the we office just talked about it here when, and i've shared it on our instagram account it, when I when I was in elementary school, we had a contest every year, and you would fill out a three by five card with your name and the school mm -hmm. address, and they would attach it to a balloon, and we would have balloon day, and we would all go outside and release balloons, and then the the three by five card encouraged people to mail the card back and say where it was mailed from, and the person uh -huh. whose card was returned from the furthest away won a prize. So we were being rewarded for yeah. like, yeah, balloon day. This is awesome. You know, and then one day balloon day just stopped. Yeah. 
you know, right. <laughs> you know, but they never I really mean, explained why. Right. The concept is getting at it, though, right? Mm-hmm. What yeah. goes up must come down. So, yeah. <laughs> and my... that balloon is eventually going to end up on um, a beach or in the water somewhere, um, and has the potential to negatively impact either the habitat and the animal that finds it along its path. I think I had just seen on LinkedIn or something about mylar, mylar balloons being like the the amount being found in nature now is unbelievable just mm-hmm. from release. Yeah, one one of my favorite Instagram accounts is actually an account called Found Your Balloon, and it's like just people. If you find a balloon, you take a picture of it, and and um, they aren't they aren't a huge account, but it's it's just fun seeing stuff. But they actually wrote a letter. Um, they found a balloon from a dentist's office, I think, and this was in the New Jersey Pine Barrens, and it was released someplace, I think, in Virginia. Wow. And um, wow. and they, so they were able to look up the dentist's office and send them a letter just saying, just so you know, this is where we found the balloon that you gave out, and the dentist's office decided they're not going to give out balloons anymore oh, because it awesome. made an oh, impact. Wow. But they had another thing where it was like a, I was on a public beach, and they had like a spike right at the edge of the beach, and it's like, if you find a balloon, put it on the spike, and the whole spike is just full of balloons. And Wow. Yeah, but it's one of my favorite things. My brother posts on there a lot. I post on there a little bit too. Like if you just tag them, then they'll put up your post. And but it's, it's it just shows how many people just yeah. don't think about where that balloon yeah. ends up. Yeah, I think with a lot of these uh, the plastic work that we do, like I said, it's really scary and overwhelming to hear those statistics, and you're just almost like, oh my god, what can I even yeah. do about it? But um, I think the thing to remember is. We there's so many debris cleanups and things happening. Like there are so many great people that are either working or volunteering their time to prevent um, and pick up that debris before it enters our waterways. But um, also a lot of it can be personal choices or changes that you can make in your day-to-day life. So something that we really focus on is things like behavior change campaigns. Um, We're the state coordinator here in Maryland for the International Coastal Cleanup, which is a massive cleanup effort that has picked up millions of debris items across the world every single year. Um, And finding out what are those swaps or changes that you can make in your day-to-day life. So um, maybe skipping that straw or bringing your reusable bag to the grocery store, things like that. Um, it does all add up and um, make an impact. And that's that's one less bag uh, getting sent to the landfill, which and, is always mm-hmm. a good thing. That, that's important. You know, it's one thing to clean it up. It's another thing to prevent um, mm-hmm. what's happening. And that really is the source. If you can if you can tap into that, you can control the problem. Cleaning up is just a Band-Aid right. on, the, mm-hmm. on the outside. So um, mm-hmm. we're going to shift shift gears a little bit more one more time <laughs> can we talk about the, the garden for wildlife program yeah at the aquarium absolutely. House? can you tell us a little bit about that so the national aquarium works with the national wildlife federation on this program okay um national wildlife federation has an affiliate in each state and we're the maryland state affiliate um so this is really their program but oh, okay. we're the folks helping out to put it in a place and make it happen um, in Maryland and providing resources to encourage people to participate. Uh, 
any habitat is better than no habitat, but the best habitat we can provide is one with native plants. Yes. Um, the reason for that is we can fulfill the needs of our native wildlife species for food and shelter by doing things that way. So really the Garden for Wildlife program is about encouraging residents, businesses, schools to create native gardens by providing the five key elements. So that's food, water, cover, places to raise young, as well as sustainable practices. So you've got those um, food, shelter, space aspects of habitat, but um, also keeping in mind that uh, it's good to have sustainable practices with your gardening as well. Um, so using things like a rain barrel, for example, to and using that water to water your plants, especially if you're in an area that tends to have a lot of droughts. Uh, the best part of this is that anybody can do it. So whether you're a renter, a homeowner, regardless of if you live in a rural or urban area, there are ways to make these habitat gardens. And every habitat garden is a step towards replenishing these natural resources for wildlife um, in Maryland, but also across the country. Um, so having these little pockets and these green spaces, even if it's just um, your porch or the back of your townhouse, for example, in um, Baltimore City, having so many people certify and put uh, those planters in their yards helps to sort of connect the gaps between where what you would typically think of as a green space that's a bit chopped up in the city. So we have large parks, but for wildlife, yeah. if you just have that large park and then no other habitat available anywhere else between that, it's going to be hard for you to get around and get all the resources that you need. So totally. making those green corridors so that our wildlife has places to go and migrate and thrive. Um, so once you go through the certification process, check off those boxes that you've provided um, those aspects of habitat, you're able to get a nice sign that designated your garden as a wildlife certified wildlife habitat. Um, and it's pretty affordable. It's only a $20 application fee to certify your garden. And that money directly goes back to the National Wildlife Federation and to the aquarium to continue sharing and creating more native gardening resources to be shared with the community. Uh, that's fantastic. And that's something with Dr. Doug Tallamy with his latest mm -hmm. book is, is that he's preaching is to connect those corridors mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. by making a, a national park in your backyard so sure. that it's mm -hmm. not isolated where you can connect them. And I, I love the the points of that program too. And same thing with, with author Benjamin Vogt with we have to shift the paradigm with how we garden or how we think about gardening. Um, mm -hmm. I had seen – I had been at a conference probably 10 years ago in Washington, D.C., and they were saying they were trying to give out rain barrels, and no one was taking them, and they couldn't understand, like, they were giving this stuff away, and how they, why couldn't they, why couldn't they convince people to take them and use them at home, even though they were providing the education? Well, they hadn't done the research, and they were, <laughs> they found out that most of the people were were taking public transportation. They didn't own a car, and they had no way of getting the barrels home. They saw one person trying to get it on the... <laughs> <laughs> on public transportation and they're like oh oh maybe we need to <laughs> maybe we need to refigure how we present this um and they right. started delivering them to people's houses and they said the program took like a major turn at that point mm -hmm. when when they figured that out so it's it i i love the education aspect of this 
I really do. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's a great program. So how can the, – the most important thing of all mm-hmm. of this is how can our listeners get involved? How can they help make a difference? Um, can they volunteer? Can they donate money? Uh, can they become a member? Are, are there ways that people – that our listeners that want to help and be a part of this that they can help? Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of options of things you can do. Um, I think something that anybody can do is just helping to spread that message of hopeful conservation. There's plenty of environmental challenges that we're facing that feel very doom and gloom, but take solace in the fact that there's so many people dedicating their careers to improving the planet for both wildlife and humans' sake, and there's also a lot of personal actions that you can do as well um, to help. So. There's lots of good news out there, too, Um, so making sure to seek that out and share those conservation wins with folks. Um, In terms of other things you can do, uh, you can obviously look into participating in the Garden for Wildlife program. If you don't live in Maryland, just look at the National Wildlife Federation's website, and they'll list who your state affiliate is. Uh, You can also volunteer with us or with your local conservation organization. Uh, We are slowly bringing back some small, socially distant volunteer events in the near future. So I'm looking forward to getting back out there this fall. Uh, You can always find our volunteer events on our website at aqua.org slash conserve. Okay. And you can also find our Garden for Wildlife information at aqua.org slash garden. Awesome. Those are all great things that everyone can get involved in. So please, if you're listening, if you're in the area or even if you're not, uh, check out the website and get involved. That's what we're hoping. That's one of our major yeah. hopes for this is yeah. that you're getting involved. Mm-hmm. You know, So hopefully we, we get to see some feedbacks. If you're a member of the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group and you are getting involved, I'd love to see photos. Oh, yeah. Of yeah. uh, of anything that you've gotten involved in, I know we've we've gotten involved by joining uh, organizations mm-hmm. and things like that. Visiting so our our Burlington County Parks is another one, uh, yeah. and, uh, and beyond that as well. But. Yeah, exactly. So it's you know that's that's our biggest biggest yeah. hope is that people connect. Oh, and we're gonna hopefully create quail and pollinator habitat with John Park and oh, awesome, and um, and Kelly Gill. So. I'm working on that now. All right. Awesome. If they're listening, I'm working on it. (laughs) Don't get mad. I'm actually working on the application. And we will share those photos when that happens. So uh, now I've I've been waiting for this ever since that you said that you you thought about saying lobelia is your favorite plant, but you changed your mind. I've been thinking in the back of my head, trying to figure out what it's been this whole this whole podcast so <laughs> our final question is always what is your native plant so i'm i'm very curious to hear what it is yeah uh so i definitely thought a long time on this one all right uh, and your other your other guests have had such good answers i needed to be up to par um, <laughs> there's no uh, wrong an- just a, a, a hint there's no wrong answer i know i know <laughs> <laughs> uh I went with the blue-eyed grass, um, Angustifolium, as my favorite native plant. Wow. Uh, It's a small grass. It grows to be about a foot tall. has a nice deep green color um, to the grass. And in the spring and summer, it blooms this small bluish-purple flower. That's the name. um, (laughs) That I think is really pretty. And I like that they open up in the morning as the sun comes up and then um, close back up as the day 
goes on. I, I planted some by my front porch, and the pollinators just love it. And also, it's deer resistant, which is great because awesome. here in Maryland suburbs, we've got way too many white tailed deer. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, a common theme across the board. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that is a great pick. That is a great pick. I'm actually going to go off script and I'm going to ask you another question. And I'm, I am I am going to say there is a wrong answer for this one. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite band since we're, since you talked about being a big concert goer? Yeah. Ooh. Do you want to say? It's like picking your favorite child. I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am a huge churches fan they're a oh, okay. scottish alternative uh band that i really, really yes love. yes I, miss them. I hope the day comes soon where we can all be at a concert together <laughs> i would like if they uh, come to town i will i will drive down to maryland to, to that's a big promise Fran. that's i'll I've, do it that's i've heard you talk about the day of con- Fran goes to a lot of concerts <laughs> and the day of concerts is like man i'm supposed to go see paul mccartney tonight and i don't want to go <laughs> Listen, this all comes down to what happens is I'm a huge introvert. So when I want to go, I want to go. And then as soon as that day comes around, I totally get in my own head and talk myself out of going until like five minutes before I would need to leave to get there. And then it it happens all the time because I'll be like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And my friends will be like, how many times have you said you're not going? And I'm like 10 times. And then the next day, they'll ask me, did you go? How great was it? And I'm like, yeah, I had a great time. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's every time. But church is the one thing I love about them, not to go too off topic, was after their collaboration um, with oh, – I'm trying to remember who it was. And then they collabed with um, Chris Brown, and they said, you know what? We're going to not associate with this. We're not – we're not yeah. a, a part of this. And we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna step back and we're not gonna promote that we did this song with you. Um, right, right. And, and I'm drawing a blank on on who the collaboration was with. Uh, was it Marshmallow? I think it was Marshmallow. It was Marshmallow. So I love the fact that they took a stand there and said, you know, we like the collaboration. We're not happy with the direction that this is going, and we're gonna we're gonna distance ourselves right now. So I, I yeah, yeah. I, I appre- Okay, I got off topic a lot today. Wow. <laughs> No, it's all good. I I love 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 changes. I'm glad you know them. Normally, people are like, "What?" (laughs) This is an average work day for us. This is what this is me going off topic all day, and then (laughs) then me realizing, "Oh, it's late in the day. I got to get some work done." (laughs) So yeah, yeah. So uh, at this time of the podcast, we always give everyone a final thought, and this is where we open the floor to you. you can summarize, you can promote something any way or anything that you want to say. Now's the time. Uh, we give you the floor. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I think just a general note about um, native plants and the theme of this podcast. I, I remember a friend said to me once that they just thought native plants just aren't as pretty compared to more exotic or tropical garden species. And I just don't find that to be true. We've got some really beautiful native species that I think look just as nice um, in your garden. So no, I'm preaching to the choir here, <laughs> uh, but just how great uh, native plants are and how much I love them. So um, I, I agree. I think ahead. that's, that's education. I, I think when someone says that show them a cardinal flower uh, or, right. or something to that, I think minds can easily be changed. I yeah. Agree. Yeah. Tell me. Um, in yeah. terms of things to check out, 
we are still participating in the International Coastal Cleanup this fall. It's all going to be virtual. So no matter where you are, there are uh, virtual, socially distant uh, cleanups that either you can do in your neighborhood or showing up with a group if that's happening okay. in your state. Um, you are also welcome to come and subscribe to our conservation newsletter on our website. That'll give you a monthly update about what's going on in the conservation programs world and also give you the list of any of our upcoming conservation events. Uh, again, you can check us out at aqua.org slash conserve. And it, you can also find the National Aquarium across all socials. We are National Aquarium on Facebook, at National Aquarium on Instagram, and at NATL Aquarium on Twitter. Awesome. And she took my whole job. Yeah, that was <laughs> Tom was going to say that, but you totally you, you totally dissed him. <laughs> no, that's fine. We'll we'll mention it again. You can yeah. never say it enough. Yeah. And we're actually when we post uh, the podcast on our website, we always uh, put a link to all of those mm -hmm. on the website as well. So if if you okay, if you listen to the website by going to nativeplantshealthyplanet.com, you'll have all the links for this mm -hmm. this podcast this episode and all the past podcasts also mm -hmm. so you can always find if you're if you're listening to something going oh i forgot i listened to this and i wanted to check out their twitter you can go mm -hmm. to the website instead of having to search through our whole conversation to find out yeah. where all those yeah. links are we put them all up yes so. do you want to go or do yeah you i can go? go all right my my basically i'm going to hit on again the whole recycling arrow triangle there's three arrows. There's not just one that says recycle. It's reduce, reuse, recycle. And I'd really even put them in that order for what you should be doing. We kind of put a huge emphasis on the recycling. You really need to start by reducing it. And that's when you go to the store and you only have like two or three things, don't get a plastic bag. Or even if you have more than that, bring your own bags. Everyone has that drawer full of old plastic bags. Yes. <laughs> just It eventually gets so full that you don't know what to do with it. Bring some of those. Or if you've bought some, use them. Do you really need a straw when you're you're getting a drink? Probably not. It's little things, but if you're getting a, you go to to uh, a McDonald's twice a week and you get a straw in your drink, well, that's I can't do math that fast. That's like a, <laughs> well, it would be 104 straws, right? 52 yeah. weeks in a year, so that's yeah. 100 straws that are going to end up, if we're lucky in a landfill, potentially in a waterway or just in the middle of nowhere. Um, then reuse stuff. It's the same thing with the reusable grocery bags use them um switch to to instead of plastic bottles every day get a reusable plastic bottle or even a metal bottle with a metal straw and then then focus on the cycle and i'd even take it a step further and when you're out in places clean up there's yeah. a this past fall there's a everyone who listens knows i hunt a lot but there's uh actually it was in the spring they had a thing called tines and trash where you'd actually go and look for deer shed antlers deer shed their antlers every year and, um, but while you're out there, you're passing, I'm walking along all these balloons, all this trash that's just blown in the woods. Well, they said, bring a bucket or bring a bag and pack out all that trash and then take a picture. And there was loads of pictures of just people with tons of trash that just from a, an hour walk, how much you'd be surprised how much yeah. trash you find. And the things I found a beach chair in the middle of the woods, just a yeah. beach chair yeah. sitting there, like all <laughs> torn up, found like multiple five gallon buckets. I think I found like 20 balloons wow. when, I, when I did that. Wow. But when you're out in these places and you see something on the ground, don't just walk by, pick it up, bring a, a plastic bag or some kind of bag with you to put it in and then find a, a place to actually put it so it's not ending up 
in our waterways. You know, that reminds me of a story uh, when my oldest son was looking at colleges for lacrosse. He was mm. at a recruiting event, and there was a panel of lacrosse coaches, and the University of Mass coach um, said, you know, we want good human beings. We just don't want good lacrosse players. And he goes, I had a, a student coming to the college we were going to talk, and he goes, I was really on the fence whether I was going to offer this kid a scholarship or not. And he goes, as we walked around the college, he just started picking up all the trash that he saw. <laughs> and when we were done, he threw it in the trash can, and he goes, I gave him a scholarship on the spot because that's the type of human being that we want mm. to be associated with. Yeah. So just just, <laughs> just make good choices um, mm -hmm. when you're doing that. So I guess my final thought along along the lines of what you're saying is, we, we talk about native plants a lot, but it's really about the ecosystem. You could mm. We could all plant a ton of native plants, but it doesn't solve the problems or make the ecosystem healthy. And it's, it's about making good choices that way. So get involved in plastic cleanup, like Tom mm. was saying. Like when you see it, pick it up, be involved, try to reduce it on your end. If everyone just tried to reduce even – by 25% the mm. amount of plastics that they're using, what a huge difference um, that would make. So just try to make better choices uh, throughout the day that way. I, I, I find myself thinking about it more and mm. more. Um, so I'm not perfect at it, but I'm, I'm getting better yep. a little bit. Yep. <laughs> That's it. So, That's what yeah. I got. Wow, we were all really profound. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a first time. That's so. a first. Yeah. Like, there was silence at the end. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even get to talk about microbeads, too. That's You want to talk about microbeads? It's a long thing. But the, <laughs> more, you might even know a lot more about this, too. But, like, the microbeads that they put in, like, hand soap. Have they banned that already? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. I don't remember if it's if it got to the federal level or not i think they were trying i don't know yeah i, I know here in maryland they're yeah i know just when i found the the soaps you get and they have like the little it's not like the the gojo orange gritty pumice stone soap but they'll have like regular right. hand soap and it's got like a little bit of grit in it or toothpaste that has like a little bit of grit yeah. in it to help yes it's actually little micro tiny pieces of plastic yes and then yeah. you're basically say you're washing your hands you run the water well it's just all those little bits of plastic are just going down the drain and eventually working our waterways. And it's that same concept breaks down the little tiny particles that then, then um, fish and, and things are going to think are little eggs. Cause that's what they look like. Right. Exactly. And, um, like it, it's so small that the water treatment, it's uh, another one of those plants things. Aren't able really, to process it. Do you really need like that little bit of plastic in your soap or your toothpaste to get your teeth or hands that much cleaner? It's no, probably not. No, probably not. Spend the sing the whole <laughs> happy birthday song twice while you're washing your hands, and you'll be just we're right, all pros right. at washing our hands now. So <laughs> yeah, you don't, I, you don't need grit in your. That's stuff probably anymore. one thing that we've all gotten better at. Yeah, is uh, is washing our hands. <laughs> so there's my second final thought, and that really that wraps it up. So thank you all again for joining us today. We hope you'd enjoy listening to the, about the National Aquarium. Make sure you follow them at www.aqua.org, and then you also had the the backslash conserve and then the backslash garden um depending on what you're looking for there uh you can follow them on facebook which is at national aquarium twitter which is at nat oh at, at nat <laughs> nat l aquarium i thought i was seeing things there. Yeah, no no that's it <laughs> instagram is at national aquarium and youtube is at nat aquarium i hope that's right that's right okay
<laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I double checked. I think I copied and pasted. One of them's Nat. Template. One of them's Nat L. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. I think uh, tw- Twitter is N A T L. Okay. Because the the character limit on Twitter usernames doesn't let you spell out national. Gotcha. 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 All right. Aquarium. We got it then. Yeah, and you just go on the website. You can read yeah. it. All the <laughs> so, so thank you for everyone for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. I would love to give a big thank you to Stephen Marr for contributing our theme music. We get a lot of comments on the yeah. theme music, actually, yeah. that people like it. It's very groovy. It is. It does have a groove to it. What I is like groove, it. Is it Groove Road? This was called. Uh, funky, funky Road. Funky Road, Road right. is the name of that song. Yeah. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery. Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. We now have a question and answer line, uh, which no one has called, but <laughs> it is there, and you can I'm gonna call, call us. I'm going to prank call it tonight, <laughs> All right, because we're playing it on the air. Uh, the, the number for the uh, question and answer line is area code 215-346-6189. Call and ask a question or leave a comment. If we pick your question or comment, we'll play it and answer it on a future uh, podcast. Um, let's not forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, and I saw a notification that, that Maura is now a member. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll, if we haven't approved it yet, we'll approve it as soon as we're, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're done. So, yeah, <laughs> ask, go on, and you can ask her questions as well as a lot of the other guests who are members as well, too. Yeah, so please, uh, you know, let's keep the conversation going. Yeah. yeah. So you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, you can also check us out at Apple Podcasts. Five star reviews, guys. That's Five where star it really, only. really helps us. And you, Fran's not going to read them if they're anything less. Yes. Four star. Not going to read it. Whoever left the there's they're all five star with one three star, and the coward that left the three star didn't even leave a comment. They just put three star, and they did it on like the second episode. Yeah, so they didn't even give us a chance. That, yeah, that's, it's changed a lot since. Yep. Although, had if I were to go back and listen to the second episode, yeah, it probably I'd, was a three star podcast. No, <laughs> which is our most listened to episode. Yeah. Oh, the, the yeah, the second one was good. the second one was good. That was Duke Farm. Three episode three. That was not as good. Maybe they did it after that episode, which I completely understand. You know what? All right. (laughs) Touche. Well well done. So you can also listen to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you consume your podcast. I'm pretty sure. I don't know of any other ones that you can't listen to us on. No, I think we're on everything. Yeah. You can even ask Alexa. Yes, you can. So, yeah. You can ask her to play the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast. Um with that, thanks everybody again. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. Maura, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day and spending it with us today. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure talking to you. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. This any- was a fun one. This was a fun one. A lot of them fun. But this yeah. was an actually fun one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. So uh, we will see everyone again next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.